Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on Sunday, June the 12th. Hope everybody's doing well. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can uh, check out the podcast every day, every week, whenever you want, at the Talking Mets link over at MetsMarsOnline.com. Check it out on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, it's pretty much everywhere that you can get podcasts these days. So don't be shy. Sign up. And every Sunday you'll get another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, it's uh, you know now into the meat and potatoes of the season, but there was a little sidebar news this week that we'll get into, and I think we have a really terrific podcast for you today. The MLB draft. Now, I've done draft segments when I've done my niche baseball show in the past, and um, you know it's interesting. It's uh, it's hard to really sit here and take this stuff all seriously because if you go back. And you look at the draft over the last five years, uh, you know, who knows where these kids will wind up. Nobody knew who Jacob DeGrom was back in 2010, nor if we were in 2010 would, would we be talking about him if we were doing a draft podcast. So anyway, uh, we're going to have some fun with it. We're going to try to get a feel of these kids that the Mets drafted, a couple of Long Islanders, tons of college players, a couple of college arms, a couple of college bats. And uh, Mets Marines Online's own Clayton Collier was actually at the MLB draft this past Thursday. He also had a chance to catch up with Jason Bay, former Met Jason Bay. He had some interesting things to say about his time in New York. So we'll get a feel from how the experience was, as well as his thoughts on the picks from Clayton Collier. Also, back when I was doing my NYBD, NY Baseball Digest podcast, uh, Joe DeMeo was a real big contributor. And I mean, his, this guy, he, he followed the the prospects on Twitter. He did interviews with them. He'd friend them on Facebook. He would really go to games in Binghamton and 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 Brooklyn and so on. And he really got into this. And I really respect his opinion. So I'm going to bring him on too, get his feel on things. And also we'll go back and we'll remember some Mets drafts of past. So I think it'll be interesting to catch up with Joe. It's been a while. Of course, while you're listening to the show, you want to interact with me on Twitter at Mike Silva Media is the Twitter account. Send me a personal note at Mike Silva Media. Dot com. Before we get to Clayton and Joe, 
and the draft stuff. Let me take a, a minute here and talk about the current team. This podcast is basically coming to you about an hour or so after the Mets lost to the Brewers, split the series, split the road trip. And, I mean, what we saw this week is really more of the same of what we've seen since May 1st. This is a 500 team. Uh, they played very sloppy throughout the trip, I thought. They um, they don't execute with runners on base. Some of the, a lot of the fundamental things. Today, the defense fell apart. I mean, not that this is a great defensive team, but um, what you saw today was pretty amateur. And, um, you know, at some point, you have to start to say to yourself, as you get into the meat of the season here, this team is looking more like they're going to be in the muck with two or three or four of the teams that are going to be vying for the wild card. Pittsburgh, St. Louis, L.A. seem to be those teams. And only out of those, you know, four teams that include the Mets, only two of them will make the playoffs and will play in a play-in game. So when I say make the playoffs, they basically have the privilege of playing into the real playoffs under the new two wild card system. And, you know, I think this team is constituted will probably be one of those two teams. I don't think there's really, you know, I, I still look at Pittsburgh and St. Louis and the Mets and L.A. and I say, well, you know, I think the Mets are better because of their pitching, but not significantly better right now, only a couple of games better. And I'm even bringing the Marlins into the conversation because Miami is a couple of games out. I don't think the Nationals will run and hide. But right now, what you see on the offensive side of the ball is just not going to get it done. And I don't know if you look up and down the lineup. And even if you say, all right, maybe they get something out of Duda and Wright later in the year, which I'm not really counting on. I'm not really sure that this is going to get it done. There's a lot of below league average in that lineup. Kevin Ploiecki right now is not a big leaguer on either side of the ball. Not much you can do about it because on the 40-man roster, you basically have Rivera, Darno, Ploiecki. And um, the 40-man is jammed, so for, in order to bring somebody else up, you're going to have to take somebody off the roster. And you don't want to do that because you're probably going to lose them because you have to expose them to waivers. You don't want to do that. Uh, Darno is, is starting to catch down on his rehab assignment. The early returns are below league average throws, which is a huge problem, which is going to make it a lot harder on these pitchers. So I don't know what you're going to get out of Darno and whether or not uh, you're going to get a lot out of him throughout the year. I mean, rotator cuff is a big issue. It's not going to affect his hitting, but it's certainly going to affect his defense. So it's nice that they got Kelly Johnson. That's a decent bat, a guy that they could come in and, you know, like you saw today, spell Neil Walker, maybe go a little bit at first base, third base, uh, certainly could come off the bench. That's a viable professional bat off the bench, a guy that did well last year. And, uh, you know, if Mets might have been served to bring him back. They didn't have to go through all this. Not that they lost a lot in giving up Akil Morris, who has an arm, but is a prospect that's a project. But I don't know if Kelly Johnson is going to do it because right now you look at this team, and they're pretty much in the same space that they were a year ago. The difference is I think the Nationals are more of a threat this year to widen that gap than they were a year ago. And if they, they do widen that gap, I'm not sure this team is capable. They have not shown since April of racking off 8, 9, 10 out of 11, you know, 13 out of 16, which is what you need to do if you fall far behind. And you really would like to see them do that to get to the next phase of the season, which is get 10, 15 games over 500. Because you start to play 6, 7, 8, and you hang around there, those are teams that vie for the second wild card or the first wild card. Those are not teams that win divisions. You're not winning the division with 84, 85 wins. I don't even know if you could make wild card with that. 
So where do you go from here? And I think looking across the diamond, looking at their competition this weekend, I think the Brewers hold a few keys. I don't know what the situation will be with Milwaukee. They're certainly in rebuilding mode. But I look at Michael Conforto, and I look at the Brewers, and I say to myself, if Michael Conforto, who right now has been in a terrible slump, 23 years old, so not here to come, you know, first full year in the big league. So he's going through that, that second time around when maybe the league is starting to expose some weaknesses. Now it's his turn to adjust. If he's going to be a league average player this year, at his age, that's fine because there's so much that you, you know, potentially could, uh, could gain from that experience. But the Mets are not in a position as a team contending for a championship maybe to accept that. Not suggesting send them down. I know they've talked about that. What I'm saying is, is that do you consider trading Conforto in the right deal? Because a team like the Brewers would say, hey, Michael Conforto could come here and develop. We also know they like Wilma Flores because of what happened last year. Now, I know there's some bad, bad blood about the Gomez trade, but right now the Mets look pretty good on that. They have two pieces right now, the Brewers, that would help the Mets immensely. One is Jonathan Lucroy catcher, first baseman, and the other is Ryan Braun. Both of these guys are going to become very expensive. Bear with me. Let me play GM with you for a little bit so I can get to my point here. Ryan Braun has a contract, a five-year contract that started this year for $105 million. So you bring someone like him on, you're looking at about a $19, $20 million a year in additional payroll with Wright and what's going on with him and who knows what's going to happen. That may be a lot more for the Mets to swallow on a long-term deal. Also, if you bring in Ryan Braun, you don't know what that leaves with Cespedes, who you who most likely will opt out, but we don't know because they're on the hook for a little bit with Cespedes if he stays on board for the next couple of years. So I don't know but from a budget standpoint if the Mets can swallow that. Now, LaCroix is a little bit different because LaCroix has a team option for next year, and he's making a little bit less. So let, let's bring up LaCroix's salary. Look, LaCroix now is towards the end of his contract where his 2017 has a $5.25 million Club options. So that's a little bit more palatable. But, you're all, but, but what I'm suggesting here is that the Mets look at these players, if they're available, bringing both of these guys in would immediately jolt the offense. Braun could play left field. You have Granderson in right, Cespedes in center, and then Lagares could be the defensive replacement fourth outfielder. LaCroix becomes your top catcher. I think it gives you a situation where LaCroix could also play first. Uh, right now, you can't rely on Darno if you want to win a championship this year. You just can't. The question is, in a deal like this, I don't know if the Mets have enough. Now, they're going to want pitching. You're not going to give up a match. You're not going to give up a Syndergaard. You're not going to give up Harvey and, 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 and a, of, of the same like. I don't know if the Brewers would look at a, uh, a deal that's centered on maybe Conforto and a Ned Rosario, the shortstop prospect that they have down there. Um, I'm not sure if there's an arm they could throw in there. Not, maybe not an arm of the caliber of, of Mats or Syndergaard, but somebody that has potential in the system. You know, remember, it's not all about, uh, you know, getting a guy. You know, not everyone's going to be Noah Syndergaard. The other question you have with this situation, you know, do the Brewers want to shed payroll as well? So there's some, some, some value to saying, hey, guys, we're taking on a lot of salary. We're opening this thing up for you to rebuild. We're giving you a, a top pick in Conforto who could potentially be in that uh, superstar category of, of a Braun, perhaps. Um, you know, and you're getting a, a, a shortstop like Rosario, who's in the middle. I you know they have uh, 
uh, VR, you know, who's 25 years old. But, you know, I mean, you never know with the Rosario, how he's young, how long it's going to take. You also got Dominic Smith that's available for the Mets. So there's a lot of different things you can do. Um, but I'm saying I think it's going to come down to something interesting. What's going to be interesting for this team is if you want to seriously compete for championship, and in my opinion, that's what this is all about, making the playoffs or being a decent little 88-win team to get into a wild-card game. That's not what this is about. This team made it to the World Series last year. They, they, they pushed their, their timeline way up, and now you have that window with these pitchers to win. And when you have a window of contention, you have to seize it. And seizing it is sometimes making tough decisions. You saw across the way at Yankee Stadium, Michael Fulmer, he was the tough decision that they had to make. Michael Fulmer would look really good with those young pitchers. He would be a guy that they could take and potentially even feel good about trading Harvey. Um, but they needed to give him up to get Cespedes, and they got to the World Series, so it's worth it. You know, that's what this is about. Not every prospect is meant to wear your uniform. Some of them are meant to wear other uniforms. That's what the Mets did to get Keith Hernandez and Gary Carter in the 80s. QB Brooks might be the only one of those prospects they unloaded or players they unloaded, not all the prospects. You know, Allen went in one of the trades. But maybe you could have said, wow, that was a guy they could have used at shortstop at one point. But you've got to give something to get something. You have to, and that's what the Mets did. So that's where I think you guys need to think. The Mets are going to need an impact bat. It's either going to be Michael Conforto, who's going to all of a sudden come out of the slump and play more like the impact bat that he was in April than the league average to below league average to lost terrible player that he's been over the last six weeks, which really aligns with the Mets slump. It, yeah, it's been injuries and whatnot, but you really don't have a consistent player outside of Cespedes that you can say night in and night out, they'll be there. Got a couple of streaky players, Granderson's playing well, and so on and so forth, but you really need that guy. And right now, Conforto, league average, Granderson's starting to come around. Um, you know, Neil Walker is, is currently injured, but you know, maybe you could rely on him. That's it. That's not enough. You can't have three, four hitters in a lineup. You can't have two out of every three innings being one, two, three. That's why you see uh, during the weekend some not-so-great arms, I thought, shutting down the Mets and retiring 14, 15, 16, 17 in a row. So that's where we're at with this current team. Um, you know, I think we'll continue to see what's going on. It's something interesting. I wanted to give you that thought. I think you look across the diamond, and can the Mets pull off a deal for Ryan Braun, for Jonathan Lucroy, or do something drastic, do something to put their chips all the way to the center of the table, even though it may hurt and really deplete their farm system, or give up a player like Michael Conforto, who you may turn around in two years and say, geez, now, now I got Braun on the back end of his career. LaCroix may leave via free agency, but hey, if you get to a championship, I think it's worth it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Clayton Collier of MetsMarizOnline.com will talk about his experience at the Thursday's draft. We'll do a lot of draft talk. We'll have Joe DeMail, my old buddy, St. Lucie to Flushing, at PSL to Flushing on Twitter. We'll talk about Mets drafts in the past and some of his thoughts as well. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check us out all the time at MetsMarizOnline.com. Go to the Talking Mets link. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, and you can interact with me at Mike Silva Media on Twitter. We'll be right back. Base is loaded one out. Reynolds up for the first time in the game. One out to Reynolds. And he winds one off the glove of VR. They flip the second. They get the force, and that's all. That runner's already out. He's already out. Yes. 
What a bizarre play. DR dropped the liner, but then he flipped the second, and they got the force on Johnson, and then rather than go after Flores, who they was in jeopardy, the they went after Johnson, it was already out. <laughs> they got to go back to school. We're back. Talking Mets podcast, Mike Silva here, and as promised, uh, we're going to do some draft coverage, and joining me, Clayton Collier from Metsmerized Online, uh, one of our own. He's a senior editor over there, sports director at uh, WSOU, recently graduated from Seton Hall, and uh, we're going to chat a little bit about his time at the MLB draft covering the Mets. Clayton, Mike Silva, how you doing? Mike, how are you? It's a pleasure, pleasure to hear you. I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, nice to hear from you. By the way, if you want to follow Clayton on Twitter at Clayton underscore Collier, uh, follow him on Twitter. Uh, a good, a good follow over there. Uh, so let's start out. I've never been to the MLB draft. I've been to the NBA draft, so I had that experience a few years ago. Um, I know some people have, have covered the NFL draft. It can get a little wild and crazy. I mean, people, you know, especially the NFL draft. It's multiple days. I don't know how people sit there the whole time. Uh, what was your experience at the MLB draft? I mean, I don't know if you've covered in your time the other drafts, but you know, if, whether you have or you haven't, talk about your time. I believe it was Thursday uh, in Secaucus. Am I correct? Yep. Uh, it was actually my fourth time that I've been there, so I've been there the last couple of years. Uh, my first year was when Dominic Smith got picked, and um, that was great, obviously, you know, covering it um, for WSU and being there for Metsmerized. Um, you know, we got some of the first content out there um, and, you know, to be able to speak with Dominic um, and his parents. And, um, you know, it's really a great event, not only because you have some of the draft, uh, the draftees, the selectees there Um, this year, unfortunately there was only two, they couldn't get a couple more of them, but uh, in prior years where there's seven or nine of them and there's all the families there. uh, And then you have the team representatives and some, you know, well-known face from each of the clubs that's welcoming it, them in, handing them the phone with, you know, the GM or a scouting director on the line. Uh, it's really unique to see um, out in Secaucus uh, at MLB Network, you know, to see that firsthand, you know, kind of the beginning of a pro career for some of these guys. So it was interesting to see the direction the Mets went, and I've been surfing through drafts from the last five years, and it's amazing. I mean, anybody who, let's say we were in 2010 right now, we were evaluating the 2010 draft, you and I mm-hmm. wouldn't talk about Jacob deGrom. We, w- we just wouldn't. No. We wouldn't even be somebody we would look at. we talk about Matt Harvey. we talk about Blake Forsythe. we probably talk a lot about Corey Vaughn and Matt, Dan- Matt Dendecker, but we wouldn't talk about Jacob deGrom. And then if you go and look at uh, you know 2011, which is Sandy Alderson's first draft, there's Brandon Nimmo, there's Michael Fulmer. Corey Mazzoni, but you know who knows if we'd be talking about Robert Zellman, you know, something like someone like that. So, five years from now, I don't know if you and I are going to look uh, any smarter after this segment. But um, <laughs> I know the Mets say that it wasn't planned to go college, but they went very college heavy, and I wonder if that had to do with the fact that they're a contender. They know there's a bit of a window. I'm not saying any of these kids are going to help them this year. But in the next four years, I, mean, I believe the Mets have about a four, maybe five-year window. Maybe that's a stretch in it. But they should be pretty mm-hmm. good over the next four years. I think they're probably hoping that one or two of these kids, especially the arms, maybe could help them in the bullpen, maybe could help them in the rotation. Um, because mm-hmm. this is what it's about now. It's about winning. It's not about winning in five, six, seven years from now. 
Yeah, well, you know, they always say that you don't draft necessarily to your need because these guys are so unpredictable and it's really difficult to try to, you know, have a trajectory of what it's going to look like three, five years down the road. Um, but, you know, if I'm the Mets, I, I first of all, I look at the fact that, you know, Paul Podesta, this is the first one without him. Um, secondly, I look at the fact that, you know, this pitching staff is not going to be intact, you know, five years down the road. It, you know, you're not, you're just not going to be able to hold on to all of those arms. Um, so, you know, maybe looking at kind of what you've done in the past and you look and, you know, your Gavin Sacchini's, Brandon Nimmo's, Dominic Smith's are still working their way through the minors where some of your college guys are here. Um, so, you know, perhaps when you're looking at the, the college end of things, maybe the Mets, you know, are looking at the fact of, you know, where they are in terms of their window and also the fact that their pitching throughout their farm system has either been graduated or in the case of Akil Morris and Michael Fulmer, has been traded off. So, you know, probably looking to restock that a little bit, um, and, you know, maybe a little bit of a shorter uh, path to the majors if you're going college. Justin Dunn, Anthony Kay, local guys from Long Island, Justin Dunn, right-handed pitcher from Boston College, was a reliever and then converted into a starter. Uh, Anthony Kay from the University of Connecticut. Let's go there. Uh, let's start with the two top guys, two arms. Uh, anything you're hearing, what were your thoughts on those two picks? Well, I really thought the Justin Dunn one was interesting um, because obviously about being a guy that um, was a reliever, late convert to a starter. Um, I really like the fact he has, you know, four quality pitches. He's working a little bit more to establish, you know, some of his secondary stuff, but he's got a nice slider curveball changeup that he works with along with that fastball. Um, so I'm interested to see. It's just, it's a matter of him working on his command once he gets into the organization. Um, you know, this is a guy that was drafted uh, previously by the Dodgers um, out of high school, didn't sign. Um, this is a talented guy and a solid pick for the Mets. Anthony Kay, uh, you know, you got to love also going the local guy. Um, out of Ward Melville along with Steve Matz, great job that Lou Petrucci does at, as the uh, baseball coach over at Ward Melville. Uh, this is a guy with, uh, you know, a lot better command, um, and he has a great changeup as well. Um, I would say then uh, compared to, to Justin Dunn, he's just trying to establish some more of those secondary pitches, as I mentioned. Um, but out of UConn, great talent there, good pickup for the Mets. Um, and now Seaport Deli out in Setauk that has the Matt sandwich and now the DeGrom sandwich, they got to make an Anthony K sandwich as well. <laughs> It's it's funny I'm 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 in Lake Grove right next to South to talk it and I've yet to be to that deli. I'll you know what I'll do I'll have to go have the Matt sandwich and then give a review on the program. Have you had one yet? Are you you're oh, a Long Islander as well if I'm not mistaken? Are you? Yeah. Well, actually, um, a couple of years ago I was working for the local paper, the Times Beacon Record, and um, I did a feature on Matt when he got promoted to Double A, and I was looking for my lead. And I went to the deli. Um, I regularly go there, and I was just looking on what to order, and I forgot that they had the Matt sandwich. So about a year before he was called up, and that became a big deal. That was actually my lead in the local paper for the um, for my feature on him. So um, I, I personally have not had the Matt's. I've, I've gone with the Seawolf, um, and then there's a popular sandwich called the Gasm. Uh, one of those two are the ones that I'll go for. What is, but I know I'm doing a sharp left turn right here, but I have to jump uh -huh. on this. What is the Matt sandwich? I've never actually looked into that. What is it? 
Um, well, it's I believe it's a chicken cutlet. Uh, I think pepper jack cheese. Hold on one second. I, I believe I have the ingredients right here. Um, it's a chicken cutlet, melted jack and cheddar cheese, crispy bacon, lettuce, tomato, topped with pepper house dressing on a toasted garlic syrup. That actually sounds pretty good. Now, a little bit spicy, it sounds like, to tell you the truth. <laughs> a little bit, but, you know, I guess, uh, you know, if you're a pitcher, you're going to have to, to deal with some heat anyway, so. That's right. So there you go. So now you got a sandwich review. You thought you were getting draft analysis, and here we go into a sandwich review. So, right, um, right. you know, I'm also not surprised that the Mets and uh, with the, uh, the you know Anthony Anthony K was the sandwich pick for the losing Murphy, but then you have Peter Alonzo and Blake. Uh, and if I pronounce the name wrong, correct me because I do this all the time with minor leaguers. Tiberi uh, Alonzo, a first baseman at the University of Florida. Uh, <laughs> Tiberi, a third baseman at the University of Louisville. Lucas Duda, and I know, again, they have Dominic Smith, and Duda's got back issues, and right, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, right? But the Mets in the corners, that's been something that they haven't developed. Good corner infielders who could hit, maybe, and obviously you want pop at those uh, positions. I'm not really surprised they went that direction, and I'm wondering, in your opinion, and again, this is a crapshoot, but Conforto made a quick rise. Is it possible, even maybe with an Alonzo, that we can see that with these kids in the next couple of years as uh, Duda... Uh, potentially uh, becomes a free agent, and then who knows how much longer you have with David Wright. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the original plan is to have Dominic Smith ready in the wings, um, you know, with the way that he's been developing. But, you know, you, you never know, obviously, until these guys get into the pros because who's going to be, you know, who's going to shine and who's really going to fall by the wayside. So, you know, I think we we got to wait another year or two to actually see what you have from Pete Alonzo. But you know that you're getting some big-time power out of Florida. Um, as well, you know, just a great hitter overall. And um, for for the Mets, it, it, the only detraction that you really had for him was, you know, that he did have the broken hand earlier on. That was a concern, I know, when it was coming to drafting him, but ultimately saw the value that they had um, and decided to go that way. But, you know, I think that the Mets have developed corner infielders or at least had quality corner infielders in the system, but they've just kind of, moved them around because you had David Wright and be it Carlos Delgado like Davis or Lucas Duda along the way um, that blocked them. They've tried to move them around. Just you don't have to look much further than Wilmer Flores for that one. Signability. Um, you have any, you heard anything where there might be some concerns about being able to sign them. I'm, the Mets have been pretty good at, at, well, I know philosophically they really don't want to go over slot. Um, and the way the draft is now, it's not that easy to go over slot. It's changed quite a bit in the last few years. Uh, it doesn't sound like these kids won't be in Mets uniforms. And, and then the second part to that, and I've seen a lot of the, the fans on Twitter, especially those who like going to the uh, Brooklyn Cyclones games, the Cyclones might have a pretty good team this summer. I mean, a, an older team. And I know that the mm-hmm. Mets in the past have really put a lot of stock in winning in Brooklyn because they're, you know, it's right in their backyard and the history with the Dodgers and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't see anything in terms of signability being an issue. Um, I haven't heard anything. I know that um, when Michael Conforto was picked, that was the last time I'd really heard of a major issue with signability because of the fact that, you know, he was going to be advised by Scott Boris, um, who's, you know, now his agent, which is a discussion for five years down the road when it's coming to Michael Conforto's free agency period. But, uh, you know, I I don't think that there's going to be any issue, but, you know, yeah, there's a lot of college guys here that are going to be coming in and probably going to be involved 
um, on the Cyclones roster this year. So it, it's going to be you know, a unique sight to see probably some more 22, 21-year-olds uh, in the Cyclones than you, you might have expected. No, for sure. I have uh, Clayton Collier, uh, se- uh, senior editor over at MetsamoriteOnline.com. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Clayton underscore Collier. Tons of pitchers round out the draft. Uh, you know, a few, uh, you know, also some other corner infielders, third baseman, including actually a, uh, a shortstop who's the son of a former major leaguer, Brandon Fryman, Travis Fryman's son, which I found out yesterday. I didn't realize that. Is there, are there any other names? And I know it's again, this is also uh, speculative. Any other names that uh, round out the Mets draft, guys that you looked at, guys that people are talking about? What did you think about the remainder of the picks? Anybody, one or two players that stand out? Well, I might be a little bit biased because I had covered the Big East for so long, but um, you know, Daniel Rizzi out of Xavier is a quality power bat that the Mets got in uh, the 13th round. He is was in the middle of a huge power lineup for uh, Xavier University that hit a total of 59 home runs, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in the Big East, that was head and shoulders above any other team. Um, Nine home runs, 36 RBIs, uh, had 61 starts behind uh, the plate this past year, batted 317 on the year. He also has a little bit of speed, stole seven bases as well, and uh, just three errors um, throughout the season as a catcher. He really was impressive throughout and was a thorn in Seton Hall's side when I was calling their games as well. So I'm really interested to see how Daniel Rizzi, uh, from both a personal perspective and seeing what he's capable of, seeing how he develops uh, down the next couple of years. And it's a, he's a catcher, and that's another position if you look at the Mets system. I mean, Ploiecki's been very disappointing. I know he's still young. We don't know what the future holds with Darno behind the plate. I mean, a rotator cuff issue. Uh, I'm very, you know, you know, unsure of what to think about that. Not a lot of other catchers in the system. A lot of veterans over there at AAA in Vegas. So, you know, he has an opportunity. I mean, he's, a, again, a college player. If he develops quickly, he might have an opportunity to move up, uh, even as a backup, rather quickly, don't you think? Yeah, you know, when the Mets didn't sign Jose Reyes and they got Kevin Ploiecki and Matt Reynolds, uh, Ploiecki looked really solid coming out of um, the draft, and obviously that hasn't worked out so far. Uh, But, you know, we'll have to see what happens with Travis Darno. but Daniel Rizzi certainly does have an opportunity here because there isn't as much of a logjam when it comes to the minor league catching for for the Mets as there was, you know, a couple years ago. Uh, You know, Cam Marone has since left the organization. You have Kevin Ploiecki up in the majors, you have Travis Darno, who obviously you got from the Blue Jays, but was in AAA for a little while, um, who's up as well. You don't have Anthony Recker in the system. Uh, so you know, their catching contingency has really either graduated or moved on. You also had a chance. Now, every team, for those who may not be paying attention, and let's not assume everybody's logged into Twitter or to uh, the MLB Network for the draft that listens to the program. Uh, every team has like a, a representative. I believe it was John Franco for the Mets in the past. The Mets had Mike Piazza. I think Mookie Wilson might have done it one year. Um, the Pittsburgh Pirates had an old name, a name that uh, actually came up through the Mets system, left, came back, got paid a lot of money, and was a huge disappointment. And probably the bane of the Mets fans during what I call the Madoff Purgatory rebuilding years, and that's Jason Bay. And 
You wrote about it over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. And I got to tell you, uh, Clayton, when I saw the article, I'm like, you know what? First of all, that's a good get. And second of all, uh, really good work to talk to a guy that in, historically when they come to New York, a player, uh, and and they don't do well. And I know they all get paid. Bobby Bonilla you know, comes to mind. Uh, you know, guys who get big big salaries. It's not easy to call them up or show up uh, at a draft and say, "Hey, let's talk about your probably the worst three or four years of your life." And mm-hmm. uh, it seems like Bay was pretty candid, accountable, and it seemed like it was a pleasant con- conversation from what I read. Yeah, you know, I was talking with him. I, you know, there's about a good hour before the draft begins where everybody's out on the floor, and you can you just go up and talk to anybody and. I was talking to Bay for a while, and he said it was his first time back in the area since he retired after you know the season with the Mariners. I believe he was out at Yankee Stadium for one series with them. But uh, other than that, it's his first time back since being released by the Mets. And uh, you know, I, I just was surprised with how open he was talking about not only just talking about it, but being accountable. Um, you know, I asked him what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of your time in New York. And he said, just disappointment. He said, I had a job to do and I didn't do it. Um, the game is a, what What have you done for me lately? And I just didn't do it. And, you know, try to think of how many other bad contracts the Mets have had in their history. And I know it's painful, but how many of them have been that accountable? Have you ever heard that from Bobby Bonilla or Luis Castillo or Oliver Perez? No. No, they usually... They usually take swipes out out the way uh, out the door and collect the paycheck. And I think actually a commenter on the article from the site, and I'll, I'll give him a plug here. B Cleveland thirty three eighty one made a good point. Look, I'm just as guilty as this because I remember when this was going on. Is that Sandy Alderson doesn't do what Omar Manaya did back in 2010, which is the fans were pissed. Um, a lot of people wanted Matt Holiday, but there was concerns about Matt Holiday coming out of Colorado. And um, they probably could have had Matt Holiday, and he would have been a far better choice. But you never know how things work out. But he's done well in St. Louis. But Jason Bay was a reaction because they needed to be involved in the winter. They needed to win the winter. Uh, the Yankees had won a World Series recently in that point, and you want to be involved in that in that winter kind of uh, you know forefront. And Sandy Alderson probably doesn't do something like that. I mean, look, they nearly lost Ioannis Cespedes this past winter because they were very methodical. Now, my criticism is that Sandy sometimes is too methodical, but you know, lo and behold, it's a good point, and that's what the result of Jason Bay really is. Yeah, well, looking back, obviously Mets fans were upset when you know Jose Reyes walked out the door when you know, you're trading off everybody. But really, it was a smart move by, by Sandy Alderson because he was able to truly evaluate whether certain teams would be able to compete. And you, know, you just don't have to look much further than across town to see what can happen when you're just constantly trying to buy buy new contracts in order to solve problems. Because then you end up with Jacoby Ellsbury, uh, and even though he's doing well, Carlos Beltran, on top of the, the poor contracts you already have, Alex Rodriguez, Mark Teixeira, CC Sabathia uh, for the Yankees, they tried to solve that by adding Brian McCann, Carlos Beltran, Jacoby Ellsbury. Now they're still stuck with bad contracts. So Sandy Alderson really just cleared everything out and waited out a lot of those bad contracts before now starting to commit to, you know, certain players. Unfortunately, you know, David Wright uh, was one that he did commit to, but 
you know, obviously you can't foresee you know, spinal stenosis and everything that's come up with him, which is really, you know, unfortunate because we knew when you know, the times were going bad a couple of years ago that by the time the Mets were able to compete, that you'd probably be seeing right on the downside of his career, but you didn't think it was going to be happening this soon. And that's really what's probably, you know, unfortunate for a lot of, a lot of Mets fans. And, and one last point, you know, I, I think it's crazy. I mean, I know why they do it, that the drafts have become this big business. And, and because of social media, I mean, fans are following players from an early age. I mean, Wilmer Flores is a guy. I remember talking about Wilmer Flores when I started getting into radio podcasting when he was, what, 17 years old. So by the time he gets to the majors, you feel like, ah, oh, you know, this guy's been around forever. And the patience level isn't there. But this has become so important because, again, to your point, you have a four- or five-year window. The Cubs are going to have this issue with their offensive players. Not everybody could have a $200 million payroll. Uh, I know revenues are going up, but it, it, I don't see that appetite for that to become almost like the new $100 million payroll. You've got to make decisions, and you've got to have this turnkey. It's got to almost be – ironically, you just talked about the Big East. It's got to be like a college program. You have that four or five years, and, and college is a lot less now, but the old college program where you knew you had your four-year uh, uh, program, and you better be ready by the sophomore, junior year of your top players to turn it over. Now it's different. You get one year and done. But I, I think you get you, you know where I'm going. You get the point. Right, right. No, you you have to play to your strengths. And I think the Mets realized when they were stockpiling the young pitching that that was going to be their biggest strength. Um, and, you know, although you try to make a competitive team as much as possible, you're seeing just how different it is when there is an organization that truly believes that it can be a pennant contender when you have an injury and you get James Olney, you have an injury, and you go out and get Kelly Johnson, they know that this is the time to win and that they're acting like it and making moves to accompany that. Before I let you go, what do you have coming up? Give the listeners an idea. Obviously, they can follow you at Clayton underscore Collier. Uh, you're writing over at Mesmerized Online. What, what do you got coming up and uh, things you want the uh, listeners to know about? Uh, well, I'm going to be doing uh, a little bit more on the writing end for Mesmerized in the coming weeks. Uh, graduated from Seton Hall about a month ago, so uh, a lot more time on the hands now. Um, coming up will probably be the NBA draft. Uh, Isaiah Whitehead out of Seton Hall will be uh, uh, going. He declared for it, signed an agent. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but uh, I'll be there at the Barclays Center next week for that, for the NBA draft, and you know, I could tell you how it compares to the MLB. <laughs> A little bit different. I'll tell you a quick funny story. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I was at the 2008 NBA draft, and it was either Robin or Brook Lopez. I think they both got drafted that year. And mm -hmm. if, if, you, if you've been, this was at the theater at Madison Square Garden. So mm -hmm. you're basically intermingled in the, in the audience with all the players and their families. I remember having right. to go to the restroom, and I was online to get into the restroom, and I happened to be using the facilities next to Brook Lopez. Let me tell you something. It was either Brook or Robin. I think it was Brook. You don't know how small you feel till you're next to a seven foot NBA player online <laughs> going into the bathroom. Let me tell you something. I, I said to myself walking out of there, I'm like, geez, I knew I was a short guy. I'm five eight, but I didn't think I was that short. So uh it's a bit of an experience being around NBA players in that kind of environment, I can tell you that. But uh that's my uh that's my draft story. It sounds like your draft was not quite as eventful as mine back in two thousand eight at the NBA draft. <laughs> no, I wasn't running into anyone in the bathroom. <laughs> That's for sure. All right, listen, you have a great rest of the weekend. Good work over at Mesmerize. Good work on the draft, and uh, let's catch up again, all righty? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. 
And that's Clayton Collier. You can check him out on uh, MetsamorizedOnline.com, also on Twitter, at underscore Clayton Collier. We're not done yet. A uh, good friend of mine, Joe DeMeo, uh, St. Lucie to Flushing, he's on Twitter. Uh, I want to bring him on uh, right after the break, get his perspective. I, I used to do a lot with him over at uh, NY Baseball Digest when I did it, and he had some good information. He really is into the prospect. He's into following it. He's a good follow on Twitter. So uh, uh, we'll take a quick break. When we return, a little bit more draft talk with my buddy Joe DeMeo over uh, at St. Lucie to Flushing. We'll be right back. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. Wanted to get uh, a little bit more draft talk in here. We just had Clayton Collier from MetsmerizedOnline.com, but uh, old friend of the program, when I used to do NYBaseballDigest.com, we used to do a ton of draft stuff. We actually used to do mock drafts, and I used to compare this guy's mock to uh, some of the other popular mocks, and it wasn't too far off, and uh, he's with me now. You can check him out on Twitter, at PSL to Flushing. He used to have a web- website, St. Lucie to Flushing. just likes to follow, talk to, and get into the whole system. And like I said earlier, you know, we talk about these guys when they're 18 years old. By the time they get to the big leagues, it's almost like, all right, come on, let's go, let's let's get let's get this going. And that's a little unfair. But with me is Joe DeMeo. Joe, you're on the program. Mike Silva here talking Mets uh, over at MetsMorizedOnline.com. How you doing, man? Long time no talk. Yeah, Michael. How are you? I remember it like yesterday with you, you know, going down to St. Lucie and and calling me up, say, hey, I just had a conversation with Wilmer Flores. And now look at, look at what, look how far you've come. Look how far Wilmer has come. Man. Yeah. I'm, Wilmer was 16 or 17 at the time. I remember talking to him and uh, he was wearing number four and number four is my number. I was like, and you know, big prospect at, at certainly at that time. And I was like, you're going to wear number four when you get to the bigs, right? And he's like, yes, absolutely. And here we are years later and he's wearing number four in the big league. So, yeah, and you pretty, know what? Pretty crazy. I don't know if he's ever going to be a great. You know, some people used to call him to like a mini Miguel Cabrera, which is so unfair. But I think yeah. Wilmer Flores could be a pretty solid offensive player. I don't know if he's a good third baseman. I think ultimately he's a corner first baseman. I don't know if his power. You know, twenty home runs is not bad in this day and age. I mean, sometimes we get crazy, but he's a decent hitter, uh, at least against lefties. That's for sure. So uh, he's turned out all right. You know, after all these years, it seems like we've been talking about him forever. We have. We really have. But, you know, I think uh, with Flores, I think he's the kind of guy that I think a lot of people penciled in into the bench this year. And I think he's the kind of – some people just can't handle not playing all the time. Uh, he looked right. really lost every time. He, every time he came up – every time he came up, it was a pinch hitter. He looked like he was just trying to do too much because he knew this was his one at bat for maybe the next two or three days. But 
ever since he's kind of taken right spot with right hurt, he, he looks a lot more comfortable playing every day. So I think uh, I think he's one of those guys that just probably is not a bench player. I, ma- I made this point to Clayton on the on the last segment that you just don't know. Like right now, you have Justin Dunn, Anthony Kane, Peter Alonso. Those are the three top picks. And usually in these kind of segments, you go with the three top picks, and then you throw in, hey, give me your you know, sleeper or a guy that you're looking at that nobody's talking about. And I'll do the same thing with you. But then I go, let's, let me do yeah. something funny. Joe and I used to talk about this draft stuff going back to 2008, 2009. And it's amazing the guys that we talked about and then the guys we didn't. Like I think about you and I potentially in 2008, 2009, we talk about Ike Davis. I remember Brad Havens we were all excited about, um, yeah. uh, um, uh, you know, guys like that. And then I look at that draft and I look, well, look at Colin McHugh down over there towards the bottom. Um, yeah. you know, I look at, uh, uh, let me see here. I look at Kurt Neuenheis, guy we talked a little bit about, but not someone that we spent a ton of time. I remember, uh, Brandon Kaywall, a friend of yours, a guy that got cut yeah. from the Cyclones because of Neuenheis. Cause and now look at Neuenheis, who turned out to be pretty much what people thought, which is a fourth outfielder. And then we know about Matt Harvey, uh, being the top pick and, and, and things like that. And, and you look at that draft or the 2011 draft, actually that's a 2010 draft. And it's really Jacob deGrom is the guy that should have been talked about yeah. right there with Matt Harvey. And who knew? I mean, you and I probably weren't paying any attention when, when you were writing for the old website to Jacob DeGrom. Maybe you were. I wasn't. So yeah, it's just I mean, interesting how this goes. You just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. No, you don't. And, and DeGrom, he's the kind of guy that they drafted him simply because he was an athlete that just recently transitioned to pitching. He would hit 93, 94 on the gun here and there. And even when I saw him pitching Binghamton, you know, but not long before he ended up with the Mets because he went to AAA for a bit and they came up. But when I saw him in Binghamton, he didn't stand out even with guys like Dylan G, Dylan Owen, like guys like that. The ground didn't particularly stand out so much. He just kind of like fit in. I was like, oh, you know, you know, in short spurts, I've heard in short spurts, he could get up to maybe 96. And they call him up to pitch out of the bullpen ultimately when he comes to the Mets. And then Dylan G misses the start, and they're like, oh, well, DeGrom's here. You can just start. And right. dominates the Yankees in his debut. And uh, now all of a sudden, 96 almost on average on his fastball. So some people just, whether it's a mechanical tweak or, what you know, whatever it is, but there's some people that just the velocity comes later for whatever reason. But he's, yeah, he, you, was, you, he, was, cer- he, he was certainly a find. Yeah, that's true. And who knows who this year's find will be. Um, you know, I'll get to the, the, the same questions. I'm curious your take because I just heard from Clayton, and I uh, want to hear your take. Yeah. Mets went very college-heavy. Uh, Tommy Tanya yeah, yeah, they did. You know, <laughs> you know, claims that it was a coincidence. I don't think that they, they made the joke that, oh, you know, we didn't want to spend a lot of money uh, scouting the country. So we took these, these two kids who went to uh, – who were local Long Island products, and went to, one went to Boston College, one went to the University yeah. of Connecticut. So not a lot of travel here, Northeast players. Uh, I personally think that there was maybe – not that you should do it because if you draft for need, which, what happens is you get Eddie Koontz, which was that disaster of a pick that the Mets made under Omar Minaya yeah. back in 2007. But I do think from a philosophical standpoint, I don't say the Mets are drafting for need, but I think the Mets realize that the time to contend is now, the next four years. And just like they need to plug players in because of injury and, and things happening, these kids might be able to help them shorter term, maybe in two years, i.e. Michael Conforto. And I'm guessing that maybe played into it when it's six of one, half dozen of another, 
I don't know if you agree with that, but that's kind of where I'm thinking of where things went and why they went the direction they went. I mean, I, I think there's probably some merit to that. Uh, I think in general, you tend to draft for organizational needs. So you're talking about just how many third, what's our third base situation in the minor leagues, not what's our third base situation at Queens. You don't draft with Queens really in mind so much because, you know, not a very, a very, very low percentage of the guys you draft are actually going to end up being major league players. That's just, that's just the reality of the system. But I think you could, you could certainly say, especially with a couple arms that are very, very advanced with Dunn and Kay, uh, with those two guys, I think you look at that and those are very advanced arms and you have the pit, the big guys coming up in arbitration soon and things like that. So I think they're, you could always use more pitching and they traded like a hundred pitchers over the last year, pretty much. They just traded every pitcher that they could find in their system practically. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dunning K, those are two guys that I, I was a big fan of. I thought K was a guy that would have been in play at, uh, when they took him at 31 kind of throughout the process. I knew they were interested in him again. Uh, they drafted him out of high school in the 29th round actually. And he's from Stephen Mattis high school. And they drafted him in the 29th, and he chose not to sign and go to UConn. And I guess it was a smart decision because he got through a few years at UConn, and uh, the Mets made him a first-round pick. It is interesting. You're right. It is a low-percentage play, but I was looking at the 2010 draft that we just mentioned, and I look. Let me see who, out of the top 10 picks or so, where they are. And, you know, you got a lot of uh, some recent big leaguers, Bryce Harper, of course, Jamison Tyone, Manny Machado, Christian Colon. Drew Pomeranz, Matt Harvey, Delano DeShields, Michael Choice with the Athletics. That's actually a high percentage, even for the first round. Um, you know, oh, you pop yeah. it up, you know, a couple of years later uh, in 2012, and I know it's still to be determined, you know, Carlos Correa, Brian, uh, Byron Buxton, Mike Zunino, Kevin Gausman, not as much in the top ten. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's interesting. You just don't know how this is going to go. And, uh, you know, five years from now, if you and I listen to this segment, you and I might look pretty stupid because the guy that we're supposed to be talking about is not even uh, not even on our radar. Nice. Yeah, for for all we know, uh, Colin Holderman, the Mets' ninth round pick, will be the next big thing. You know, <laughs> you don't you don't ever you don't really know uh, once you get the guys in the system and how they develop and what they learn, how they improve. It's it's partially on the team, but it's partially you know very much on the guy that the Mets in general they give their guys their shot and what you do with it is what you do with it, and that's. Well, that's what I always, whenever I talk to any of these kids, that's why I always say, whether you got drafted number one overall or number a thousand overall, in general, you're going to get some level of a shot and you just have to do what you can with it. And that's, yep. that's always some the of advice it's I always get. Some oh, of it's of politics, yeah. some of it's luck, you know, things like that. The, the, the two corner players, Peter Alonzo, first baseman, University of Florida, Blake Tiberi, third baseman uh, out of the University of Louisville. I think that's also interesting because, again, not saying they're drafting for need, but the corner positions on the Mets in the system, right is uh, an issue. Duda, we don't know. And I know they have Dominic Smith, but there's a lot of questions with Dominic Smith. They don't really have corner players um, you know, right now immediately that could come up maybe in the next two years. I wonder if these guys fit in that vein where they could say, okay, if Dominic Smith doesn't work out, all right, we have maybe a more mature college bat first baseman. Um, obviously, they're going to need a third baseman. David Wright's not going to fulfill this contract, whether it's going to be through a free right. agency or internally. We just In the next couple of years, maybe next year, they're going to need a third baseman. So I'm curious your thoughts on that. 
I, I think Alonzo's an interesting, very interesting guy. Uh, he's a guy. There's a real hitch in his swing that I think needs to mechanically be ironed out. But if he could, if he could iron out that swing, there is legitimately plus raw power in there with him. Uh, so he he's very interesting to me. He plays maybe a, you know average at best first base, but you know he doesn't. He's not going to kill you out there. But you, if you watch him play. You, I mean, just if you watch a video, you'll very clearly see kind of the hitch that's going to, I think, be troublesome once he gets into double A and above. But if you could iron that out a little bit, I think, uh, I think, I think there's 20 plus home runs in there in that bat. So I, I, I'm, def- I'm definitely a fan of Alonzo. Uh, and then Blake Tiberi, who actually yesterday took a hanger and hit a home run yesterday uh, in the Super Regionals. He's, he, he's the kind of guy you play third base. Do I think he's maybe defensively, eh, not you know, not so much, probably below average, to be honest with you. But he was a high-level performer. He barrels up the ball re- really well, pretty consistently. So he, he's more of a hitter at this point, I think, than kind of the fielding. But you want to, you, you know, you put him at third base, and I think he can, he can be passable, I think is a good way to put it. What a, is there a player that we, are, we should be at least – in your eyes, over the next couple of years, keeping an eye on someone that's not the, the, the top of the Mets draft that they, they snuck in there. Uh, I don't want to say the next Jacob DeGrom, but somebody like that that really, you know, you say, you know, who who can be that guy? Who can sneak in and in a couple of years all of a sudden is going to be talked about in all, on all the prospect lists and all the fan uh, hype over on Twitter and Facebook and blogs and, and what have you? Well, I, I won't account for the – Maybe the high school guys they can't sign because there is one high school guy that I, I'll get into that I am uh, a big fan of, but it's gonna be tough to sign away from South Carolina. Uh, but if if there's a couple guys that I'm looking at that maybe I think have a chance, maybe a little sooner to do something. I, I like Christopher Vial, uh, their sixth round pick out of Stanford, six foot nine, up to 97, 98 on the gun, control kind of questionable, um, but if he could tone that down a little bit. I think he has a starter's build, the starter's repertoire, uh, but at the very least, I think he has the potential to be a power bullpen arm. And I'm, I'm very interested to see him because I assume he'll go to Brooklyn this summer, uh, but that's one guy I'm, I'm a fan of. And then Colin Holderman, who I briefly mentioned before, um, out of Heartland Community College, he was a Mets ninth round pick. Uh, he, he's up to 98 as well. He would have, a lot of people thought he was going to be a higher pick, but he got banged up a little bit this spring and his velocity trailed down a little bit, so I think he fell a little bit due to that. But at the beginning of the spring, he was up to 97, 98. So that's another guy that I think if you you look at a couple power I, – I tend to look at power arms. If, you know, you, th- those are things you can't teach. So you can't make someone throw 98 if they can't. Uh, but sure. Holderman, and, Holderman and Vial are a couple guys that I think from a closer range are uh, kind of interesting, I'd say. Who's the high school kid that you said that you don't think they could sign? Carlos Cortez, he's a 20th round pick. Uh, big, big fan of the bat. The bat is legit. The problem is they don't know where to play him. He, he doesn't. He plays some second base. He plays some left field. I would think with that, his athleticism, left field's probably the best spot for him. But the fun part about him is he's ambidextrous. So he, when he plays second base, he throws right-handed. When he plays left field, he throws left-handed. So I think that's oh, that. wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's something that's that I don't even think I've heard before. Yeah. So he could yeah, play throws, pretty much any position on the field at that point. Yeah, essentially. Uh, he doesn't play anything particularly well, 
but the bat is something that you could really, really dream on. So I think he's the kind of guy, if they could, I'm thinking because of all the college picks that they did in the top 10, I believe they'll save some money from uh, the bonus pools where they can go and to get, maybe look into Carlos Cortez, look into uh, Cameron Plank, the 11th rounder, Matt Cleveland, the 12th rounder from a Connecticut high school, which is my state, so go Connecticut, and right. maybe even Ryland Thomas, Ryland Thomas, 20, 26th rounder. So those are a couple of the high school guys that I think they're, they drafted the college way in part, I think possibly for helping sooner, but also so they could save some money to sign some of these prep kids that fall due to signability. In, interesting, uh, and I said this to Clayton earlier, I said uh, the Mets always like to win in Brooklyn, and uh, sometimes they'll leave guys who are not really prospects down there to, to have an older player in a league so they could compete and win a title. Legitimately, they may have a bunch of college kids on the Cyclones this summer, and uh, they might have a pretty good team. You know, Whether these guys Cyclone. pan out or not, does it matter? They have a pretty good team. Cyclones are going to have an interesting prospect roster. Probably one more interesting one in a couple of years, I'd say. Desmond Lindsay, the first pick from last year, is likely going to end up manning center field for Cyclones this year. And then you got most of your, first, you know, most of the early picks. Dunn will go there. Kay will go there. Uh, Alonzo will go there. Tiberi, Colby Woodman, the fifth rounder of Arizona State. Christopher Vial will go there. So you know, probably honestly, of your top ten rounds, I'd be surprised if any less that any more than one were not on the Cyclones to be honest with you too. Yeah. So I think they're, they, yeah. they formed up the Cyclones with a lot of high picks. So it's an exciting year, I think for Brooklyn. I got to ask you this question before I let you go. You've been following prospects yeah. for a while. Who's the one, the Mets pick that you're shocked that didn't make it in some capacity. Do you have one? Hmm. I, I always had hope for Reese Havens as with his bat. I always thought his bat was going to do it. I always thought it was going to cut it, and it couldn't get any consistency because he could simply never stay on the field. Uh, that was one first round pick. Injury? I agree. Yeah, he never, yeah. I mean, he'd have a good yeah. two weeks. I remember seeing him down in Binghamton. Yeah. He's not playing anymore, I, I imagine, correct? No. No, he retired a couple of years back. But, right. yeah, that's, that's Bradley one Holt that I too, that, that draft. Bradley Holt, too. Yeah. He had that, all those strikeouts, and then he couldn't, he couldn't find the plate after he got out of Brooklyn. No. Yeah, that's that's the that's the biggest thing in in rookie ball, Brooklyn like that. These guys are gonna, you know, they're gonna be fine. They're gonna perform. The key is once you get up to high A and then double double A to me, high A to double A is the biggest jump in the minor leagues without a doubt. So um, that's when you stop seeing just fastballs and the occasional hook. You're now seeing hook to set up the fastball, and it's it's a it's it's a big adjustment for for hitters and then pitchers of course the hitters are more advanced so uh yeah Holt was a guy that I hope for is more of a bullpen arm probably than a starter Havens I always thought this guy will find a way to start getting healthy and he'll be a he'll be the long-term second baseman for the Mets and I'd still say if he was healthy he might still be manning second base for the Mets but he never was so um yeah unfortunately it, it doesn't work out for varying reasons with prospects but you know that's right. kind of how it goes one last other one last thing is other than maybe the Grom is the answer, but is there a guy that came out of nowhere that you were shocked at that when you were following this, you're like, I never saw that guy coming through the Mets system and, and all of a sudden making an impact. I know I'm throwing you some curveballs here. Yeah. I figured no, no. I've been following this. Yeah, for a while. I mean, yeah, this is my thing. So I, I better have an answer, right? Uh, right. But 
What one guy that I, 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 when I saw him, I never even thought he was a major leaguer at all. And he put together, you know, nothing exceptional, but Dylan G's carved out a nice major league career. And yeah, when you I and thought, I used to argue I, about and, him. Yeah. I remember you yeah. and I arguing about him because yeah. I saw him down in Binghamton. It was the same day, yeah. I think, he pitched the shutout that, um, Oh, Brian Bruni had that meltdown about K-Rod. It was after the Castillo dropped the pop oh, up yeah. and, he, and he was talking. Yeah. Now, remember, that's the early days of Twitter. I was the only one, and to this day, I still have that audio. I was the only one that had that audio, and they never credited me, SNY. They took my uh, my story, and they never credited me. But that, Dylan G pitched the shutout and got promoted <laughs> that day. I believe the Buffalo yeah. it might have been at that point. That's from Buffalo. Yep. He, was, uh, yep. he was solid at some point. I think he, his arm has always been bad. I think it caught up with him as uh, the years went on. Yeah, when I when I watched him, he just he literally looked like just a guy. And you know, I, I've been going to mainly Double A games, and then when Brooklyn kind of became Brooklyn, I started going there uh, just because the location. Those are the games I can mainly get to. But I've been going to Binghamton games since oh five oh six, something like that, and that's when I've really been starting to pay attention to the minor leagues and everything with that. And Dylan G never ever stood out to me. And there's certain guys that you see and you know they're a big leaguer, whether they're high impact or not. But Dylan G didn't look like one to me, and he's carved out a really, really nice big league career. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's fun to it's fun to go there and look at the guys. Like last year when I went, uh, they had Gavin Cicchini, Brandon Nimmo, Michael Conforto, Michael Fulmer, you know, all those guys on the Binghamton team. And when I, I went to a, a three-game series, it was actually the week. Uh, Conforto got called up, I think, three or four days after that series. and God, Conforto's he's, – he's, I know he's struggling right now, but that guy is the best hitting – Mets hitting prospect I've ever seen in the minor leagues. I haven't seen you anyone. You know what I was thinking about league. yesterday? You know what I was thinking about yesterday? I wonder if it'll come down to a team with a veteran bat. I'm just going to throw a name out there, Ryan Braun. Not I'm saying advocating it. Where they say, hey, give us Conforto. We'll give you this superstar with a little bit of a contract, not a crazy one. Would the Mets think about it because they're trying to win now? I just thought about that. I've been thinking about it the last couple of days, but when you brought that up, I'm wondering, could Conforto, because he's struggling, uh, be somebody that they think about pulling the trigger on this summer if they want to improve the offense? Michael Conforto might be the second or third most untouchable player on the Mets for me, if I, if I were running the Mets. I, I think he's, he's going to be a superstar. I really do. I, you know, I don't. I, I can't necessarily predict the future, but if I if I had to bet, I think him and Noah Syndergaard are the real stars in the Mets going forward. That's that's my yeah. take. So I, yeah. I wouldn't trade Conforto for almost anything, to be honest with you. No, I I, I hear you on that. Well, Joe, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. It's been a while since you and I had a chance to talk about this stuff, and you continue to do good work. Follow Joe over on Twitter at PSL to Flushing. Anything you got coming up that you want to pop or plug other than your Twitter account that I could let the listeners know about? Yeah, right now just uh, follow Twitter account. I'm working on a on a couple things that I think are interesting, and I hopefully get something really soon on that. But uh, yeah, just stay tuned to Twitter, and you'll certainly hear about that when it comes through. All right, Joe. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate the time. You too, Mike. You got it, Mike. We'll talk to you. And that's Joe DeMeo at PSL to Flushing on Twitter. Final thoughts coming up. Uh, one last break. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show. Every week at MetsmerizedOnline.com, go to the uh, the link on top. You got it on iTunes, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, whatever, wherever you want this show is. So uh, go out and get it, listen to it. We're, uh, we're doing fun and, and exciting things over here. We'll be 
right back. If Franco can save this one, he has earned his money for the whole year. Here's the pitch on the way. Lane drive, the game is over. The Mets win it. A lane drive to Mario Diaz. And the Mets win the ball game. They win the damn thing by a score of 10 to 9. Remember that great moment? Come share the Mets' highs, lows, and everything in between with me, Mike Sola, on the Talking Mets podcast, brought to you weekly by MetsMorizeOnline.com. We're back. I want to take a minute here, uh, something interesting. So Jake Arrieta actually was uh, talking about or – Supporting him that you saw Noah Syndergaard had put out of a pitcher's home run contest at the All-Star game, basically saying, hey, we could show you that we could hit home runs too, because there's some good hitting pitchers out there. Matt Bumgarner, Arietta, Noah Syndergaard, you know, Matt has shown a bat. Even Harvey has from time to time. Even though he can't bunt, he's shown a good bat. I'll tell you what, I'm not a big All-Star game guy anymore. It's just not for me. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, it's a nice three days when you when you watch a lot of baseball and you do a podcast and you read a lot of baseball. All-Star game could be a three-day break for you just to get away from and decompress, just like the, the rest of the media and the players from the action for a few days because it's a long season. But if there was a pitcher's home run hitting contest, I might actually watch that if they made it something that was quick and didn't drag out. Yeah, just something I thought was out there was interesting. Uh, anyway, want to thank Clayton Collier. You can check him out at Clayton underscore Collier on Twitter. I want to thank Joe DeMeo at PSL Flushing. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsMarizeOnline.com. Go to the Talking Mets link and check me out on iTunes. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I will see you next week. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio.